morning, church. Here we are in this bizarre position. Me in my home, you in your home, as I come to preach God's word. To be honest with you, I miss you all, and I long to be face-to-face in the pulpit, in, in real time, in, in live time. So please keep me in prayer, and let's keep each other in prayer as we continue to work through lockdown, and as um, lockdown will also be eased from the 1st of May. And I just pray that we will exercise wisdom, love, prudence, loyalty, courage, faithfulness, and righteousness, that we will just act in a godly way as we go into new territory after the the 1st of May. But don't forget to also go through the bulletin, read through the bulletin, and pray through the bulletin. If you are still a little bit anxious, remember the song that I once read to you. I do not know what lies ahead, the way I cannot see. Yet, one stands near to be my guide. He'll show the way to me. And that is, our Heavenly Father. I know who holds the future, and He'll guide me with His hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by Him is planned. So as I face tomorrow with His problems large and small, I'll trust the God of miracles and give to Him my all. And that's my prayer. We keep trusting our concerns, our anxieties, our worries, the future. We just keep giving it into our Heavenly Father's hands for Him to take care. Please turn with me now to Nehemiah chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from Nehemiah chapter 1. And we will be looking at prayer this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Keslev in the twentieth year, and I was found in Susa, the citadel, that Hannah, one of the brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, And keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. To hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you. And have not taken the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed. 
by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another morning, beautiful morning. Thank you that we can gather together in our homes, that we can gather together with our children, and that we can gather together in the name of Christ Jesus as we come now to hear what your word has to say. Holy Spirit, do a great work in me, through me, and into the hearts of those that hear this message. Be merciful to Robertson Reformed Community Church. Be merciful to me as we hear the scriptures preached and as we look at our own hearts and examine our own hearts to see, do we really pray? Are we a praying people? So, Father, help me now to be clear and understood. Help me to, to be logical in what I say, but also give, give help those that are going to listen to hear and become obedient by applying your word to their lives. Be doers of God's word and not mere hearers who delude themselves. So, Father, please be merciful, be gracious to all of us. May your will be done through this sermon. And may you do a great work in us and through us as we wait on you. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, I want to continue with praying. Now, do we really pray? And last Sunday, I know we looked at confidence in God to pray. And in that sermon, I did mention a name. And it was Hezekiah, who, who was in a national crisis. And, and looked, and we saw how he trusted in God, trusted in God's word, and put his confidence in God to pray, to deliver him from this national crisis. And God did. And so this morning I thought, you know, our only hope in this situation is prayer. Yes, we trust in God, we trust in his word, but our only hope for God to help us is for us to pray. But the question is, I ask myself and I ask all of us, do we really pray? Are we really praying to God during this coronavirus pandemic? Are we, are we praying or, or are we talking more about it, like 99% talking about it and only 1% praying to God? Do we really pray? Are we praying for this beautiful country, South Africa? Do we really know what's going on in South Africa? Now, and, and I mean, we should know what's going on in South Africa. We should have listened to the president's speech last night to know what to pray for so we can pray intelligently. But, but do we pray? Are we taking the things we hear? Are we, are we, are we taking the bad things we hear as well? Are we, are, we, are we listening to the news and when we hear the news of rape, murder, corruption, theft, fraud? We know there was a shortage of water in the past. We know there's load shedding and there's still more to come. And when we hear of these things, do we really pray or do we grumble? You know, as, as church-going people, as Christians, we are called and commanded to pray for our president, for his government and for this country. Are we really doing that in this present crisis? 
Do we, do we really pray when we hear about false teaching in our churches? Do we, do we pray when we hear about bizarre behaviors? Like in the past, there was that pastor that was spraying doom over his people, thinking it's going to heal them. Do we really pray? And now we come and we add this coronavirus on top of everything, which just makes it more of an extreme crisis. Do we really pray? Or are you the kind of person that says, well, the less I know, the less I'm going to have to worry. And the less I know, well, then I don't have to worry about those things. But an old saying says, what you don't know can't hurt you. Are you, are you listening to that old saying? What you don't know can't hurt you. But I tell you now, what you don't know can hurt you, can come back at you. And we should be, we should be Christians that, that have our noses in the news, not 24-7, but we should know what's going on in South Africa, in our churches, in our country, and in the world. So we can get down and pray intelligently before our Heavenly Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Do we really pray? James says, if you listen as I read, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. But the point there is that God heard the prayer of a righteous man, and that was Elijah. And Elijah is a man like us. An ordinary man. But he prayed. And he really prayed. And God heard him. There was also a time when Hezekiah was sick. And I bring his name up again. He was sick. And he was about to die. And he too cried out to the Lord in prayer. Listen as I read. God said to Isaiah. Turn back and say to Hezekiah. The leader of my people. Thus says the Lord the God of David your father. I have heard your prayer. And I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. This is what God said to Isaiah. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, I've, I've heard your prayers. You've really prayed. You, you've poured out your tears and your concern before me. And I will heal you. And the same God that heard Hezekiah's prayer and helped him is the same God that will hear our prayers and help us in his time. There's no secret to, to prayer and getting God to, to do something immediately. You cannot manipulate God. You cannot take God and, and, and put Him on a leash and try to control Him. Nehemiah does not do this as we look to Nehemiah. He was another man that prayed and asked God to help him. And he did. People look at 2 Chronicles 7.14 and they talk about, Lord, if we humble ourselves and we pray, you will heal our land. That's not a promise for us. But there are principles in there to be humble, to come to God's word in humility, fear and tremble at God's word, and do that in prayer. There are principles there that are really telling us we should really pray. But there's no promise. I mean, as Nehemiah would have heard of, of some, some Proverbs. Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, the prayer of the upright pleases him, and he hears the prayer of the righteous. There's nothing in those two Proverbs that tell us that God will answer our prayers, but it's telling us who God is. The prayers of the upright, 
those that are in Christ Jesus, and the prayer of the righteous, those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have been crucified with Christ, and Eli lives in them. So this morning, I want to encourage us. I want, to, I want us to look at two facts from Nehemiah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, that caused Nehemiah to really pray. And I want to encourage us with these two facts that, that will hopefully, will encourage us to really pray as God's children. That we would look to our Heavenly Father and cry out to Him in time of need. Because we are in a time of need. We're living in a time of uncertainty. But are we really, really praying to the true living God, our Heavenly Father, who is in heaven, seated on the throne, who is ruling this world? And seated next to Him is Jesus Christ, our faithful mediator, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are we really praying to them? Well, the first fact, that caused Nehemiah to really pray is very simple. He asked questions. And we see that in verses 1 to 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1. Verse 2 reads, listen to verse 2. And I asked them, that's Hanani and, 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 and his brothers, or one of my brothers. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So after Hanani and some men arrived back from visiting Jerusalem, Nehemiah asked some questions about the people living there, the Jews, and about Jerusalem itself. Now if we really want to pray, we need to be asking questions as well. I mean, Nehemiah is just an ordinary man like you and me. He has, a, he has a great job, but it's an ordinary job. He's a cupbearer. And a cupbearer is someone who tasted the king's wine. Because there's a possibility that someone could poison his food or his wine. But it was mainly his wine that he tasted. I wonder if our president has a cupbearer at this present moment. But... To be a cupbearer means you are in a high position of great responsibility and privilege to the king. So he's an ordinary man. He is, in a, he is in a great position, great responsibility and great privilege. Now the question is, how did Nehemiah get to be in that position? Well, do we do what the world does? The world looks at the good looks. You know, are you cultured? Are you a knowledgeable person? Are you, are you, can you hold conversations well? Do you have degrees? Do you have a status? But this is not how Nehemiah got there. They didn't look at his good looks or if he was cultured or knowledgeable in court procedures or able to hold a conversation with the king intelligently or advise the king in a smart way. No. God in his sovereign will and purpose for Nehemiah put him there. A God who works all things according to the course of his will, God in his sovereign will set up Nehemiah to be the king's cupbearer. He put him there as his holy instrument for his purpose and for his glory. I think of Joseph, how Joseph was put in Egypt 
for God's purpose and glory. I think of Daniel, how Daniel was put in Babylon for God's purpose and glory. God is sovereign. God is ruling history. And God is sovereign over this pandemic. And God was sovereign over Nehemiah. And he put Nehemiah in Susa as the cupbearer to this great king. And we look, it's in the month of Cheslev, or Keslev, that Nehemiah, this ordinary man, in an ordinary day's work, meets his brother Hanani and asks him about the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile. Now just some history, if you can have, um, um, just be patient with me. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom was taken out by Assyria. Then in 586 BC, the southern kingdom was taken out by Babylon. And then in 539 BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, he conquers the Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire. And then in 538, God stirs up Cyrus' heart to allow the people of Judah to return to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and rebuild the temple of the Lord. Then in 458, again Cyrus allows another group of Judean exiles to return to Jerusalem under the leadership of Ezra, the high priest, who eventually established this, establishes the Mosaic law. And then in 445 BC, the king of Susa allows Nehemiah to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. Now, when Nehemiah asked Hanani about Jerusalem, everything happened 140 years ago. I mean, when you think about it, why should Nehemiah even, even, even think or inquire about struggling Jerusalem or the remnant of Jews that are there? He had nothing to do with the exile 146 years ago. It was not his fault that Jerusalem was in such a state that they had great shame and reproach and, and distress and trouble, that the walls were broken and the gates burnt with fire. According to verse 3 of chapter 1, it wasn't his fault. Maybe you have the same attitude towards South Africa. It's not my fault that South Africa is in an unhealthy position as a country before the coronavirus. And now with the coronavirus, it's made things worse. It's not my fault that churches mess up and, and pastors steal money and commit adultery and do strange and bizarre things in the congregation. Or it's not my fault that the brother and sister in the church gets themselves into debt or marriage problems or parenting problems? Or what about strangers and enemies? What about the stranger that lives down the road? It's not my fault that that guy's got into a financial position, that he decided to enter some scheme and now it's, it's crippled his finances. Or you might be saying, well, I prefer not to know what's going on. I don't need all this information because you're worried it might bring obligation. But should that be our attitude? Should our attitude be negative towards our country, towards our churches, towards non-Christians, towards Christians? Should we avoid asking people questions? But not Nehemiah. Nehemiah asked questions. And in verse 4 of Nehemiah 1, it tells us that when he heard he sat down and wept and mourned for days. 
and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. See, he knows that the true living God is sovereign over everything that's happening in Jerusalem. And God is sovereign over everything that's happening in South Africa, in Roberts, in our community, and the world. But are we weeping? You know, do we, do we, do we listen to the news? Like last night, did we listen to the president's speech and then turn off the TV and mourn and weep over what's happening in this country, in people's lives, in our brothers and sisters in Christ, in their lives? Are we, are we concerned about our situation in South Africa? Or when last did you sit down with a brother and sister in Christ? Or even an unbeliever and they told you what their problem is and you got home and you wept. Someone said what makes people laugh or weep is often an indication of character. It's amazing. I grew up, we were kind of told we shouldn't cry. Men don't cry. But we should. Laughing is therapeutic. It's, it's good for the heart. So is crying therapeutic and good for the heart. But a lot of times we are told, no, we mustn't cry. You're going to embarrass me. You're going to shame me. But no, fathers, teach your children to cry. Teach your children to weep over things that are necessary to weep about. Not over petty things. I'm not talking about petty things. I'm talking about real things. Like what's going on in our country. Like Nehemiah, when he heard and knew what was going on in Jerusalem. And he's many kilometers away from Jerusalem. Many kilometers. It's not just down the road. It's hundreds of kilometers where he is away from Jerusalem. And he weeps. Are we weeping? Are we asking questions to, to move us to weep? I'm not talking about emotionalism here and sentimentalism. I'm talking about really crying over real things. Like our Lord Jesus, when he, at the end of his ministry, when he entered Jerusalem, before that he saw the city and he wept. He saw a sheep without a shepherd and he knew of the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction that was going to happen to the temple that took place in AD 70. Jesus was the son of God. He knew what was going on. Outwardly and inwardly in the hearts of people, the hearts of people that were corrupt, the, the, the religious leaders were corrupt. And that moved him to weep and pray. Jesus really prayed. Sometimes he prayed for the entire night. Sometimes he woke up early hours of the morning and he poured out his heart to his heavenly father. Are we finding ourselves in prayer time? More so than ever before. Because that will be a visible indication. Are we really men and women of prayer? And I challenge myself with that question as well. Am I the pastor of Robertson Reformed Community Church spending more time in prayer? Praying for, for the church and for the community and for the country and for the world. Another man that was known as the weeping prophet was Jeremiah. 
Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And from that verse, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He really prays. And he really weeps over the apostasy that's going on in Jerusalem. Do we find ourselves weeping over the churches? What goes on in our churches? And then we looked at Paul. I think back at the Apostle Paul. His life was a life of servanthood. He, he, he denied himself. He took up his cross daily and he followed Christ at every expense. At a sacrificial expense. He, he basically laid down his life for his friends. For the church. And he was a man of prayer who served the Lord Jesus Christ with all humility and tears. You just got to read his letters and you'll see how, how, how soaked he was in, 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 in Christ Jesus. How he embraced the cross and the sufferings of Christ and the resurrection. How soaked he was in scripture that caused him to really pray in humility and tears. Do we really pray? Are we, are we asking questions? Are we at this time WhatsApping people? Are we on WhatsApp asking people, you know, Jack, how's your heart at this time? Is there anything specific I can pray for you? And you don't have to be intimate. You, don't, you just, just share. Yes, I'm concerned about my job. What's going to happen in three months' time? I'm concerned about my wages. But I'm also concerned about my walk with God. I don't want to, to stumble. I don't want to, 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 to throw in the towel. I want to hold fast the confession of my faith. And I want to honor God through this. Pray for me, Peter. Thank you for the WhatsApp. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for showing a concern for what's going on in my heart. Are we finding ourselves in that position, brothers and sisters? Are we? Are we going to learn anything from this coronavirus? Being isolated, being left in, 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 in hopelessness. Are we learning to embrace the cross of Christ? Are we learning to, to really love God like we've never loved Him before and love our neighbor as ourselves? And that is phoning them up, asking them questions and really praying for them. Or are we just going to be the same old people? When the coronavirus moves on eventually, we're just going to go back to the same ordinary lifestyle. I challenge us as a church to really embrace the cross. Savor the cross. Savor what Christ accomplished on the cross for you. Will you look to Nehemiah? This first thing we, we looked at, this first fact that he asked questions, which really, which caused him to really pray. Will we look to Nehemiah and learn from him? I'm going to continue with my second fact, Lord willing, next Sunday. But this first fact that we looked at in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, of oh, verses 1 to 11, that caused Nehemiah to really pray. And that is he asked questions. We will be encouraged to learn, to really pray. To become men and women of God, to really pray. That is our only hope. 
like I said, let's let's embrace the cross. Let's look to the cross. There Jesus died to reconcile us to his Father, to put his Spirit in us, to, to, to help us to really pray. God has poured out his love into our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, to live in us. What? To do nothing? To not change? God is in the process of changing people. He gives them a new heart and He gives them the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures to change them, to sanctify their hearts, to transform us more into Christ-likeness so that we become men and women who really pray, to ask questions, to weep and fast over what we hear. And the most beautiful thing is when you find yourself praying, you end up becoming a great workmanship for God. Because we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to walk in them, to bear fruit, to be the salt and light in this country. Let's wake up out of our complacency, church. Let's, let's, let's wake up. We are saved to really pray. And then move to do good works, to bear fruit for the glory of God. Will we learn from Nehemiah? Will we be men or women who care? are concerned for the people out there to ask questions to become men and women who really pray let's pray father thank you for your grace and mercy in our own lives forgive us father we start forgive us for we do not pray as often as we should we do not really pray like we should. We kind of just shoot up prayers flippantly, thinking that you need to jump and do something for us. Father, be merciful to us, please. Wake us up. Help us to, to grow up in Christ Jesus, to mature in him, to become men and women who really pray. Help us to, to, to examine our own hearts, to see what is our prayer life like. Yes, the discipline of prayer is extremely hard. But that really tells us about our maturity as a Christian. Do we really pray? So Father, forgive us and help us. Give us the wisdom we need to, 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 to seek out those that we can talk to and pray for. Maybe weep over their situation and really pray for them. So Father, I pray you would take this message and work it in our hearts to become men and women of God who really pray. We need you in this time, Father. We need your help. We need your guidance. We need to, to, to know what it really means to, to say, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Teach us, Father. Test our hearts to see what's really in our hearts. Help us. Pray and ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.